something wonderful today, man.
longer am I forsaken, but I am redeemed by the power of Jesus. I am redeemed by the saving grace that he brings. He is on our side, church. There is nothing that can stand against our God. There is no mountain that is too big. There is nothing too great for our God. He is on our side. Believe it or not. Believe it or not. Jesus is on our side. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God that loves and cares for his children this morning? Amen. I'm so thankful that I serve a God that is still on the throne and that there is nothing that is unshakable for him, nothing that is unmovable for him. We serve an awesome God. Is there any Pentecostals in this room this morning? We serve an amazing God. We serve an awesome God. We serve an all-powerful God. We serve a God that cares for our needs. We serve a God that we can take our burdens and lay them at the feet of Jesus. I'm thankful for that church. He still reigns. Some of us this morning are acting like he doesn't reign, but he reigns. He is the king of our life. He is the king of all kings. He is the bright and morning star. He is the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. He shed his life's blood for us that we would have life and that more abundantly. He reigns this morning. He reigns. That should make somebody shout that he reigns. We serve a God that reigns. We live in a world that is corrupt. We live in a world that is bound for hell. But I know that we serve a God that loves his children. When we serve him, there is nothing that is unstoppable, nothing that is unchangeable, nothing that is unmovable because he reigns. Amen? Amen? <laughs> Amen.
doubt and fear there is only one foundation we believe we believe in this broken generation all is dark there is only one salvation we believe we believe I want every voice come on sing we believe in God He's given you. And he's given us new life. Oh, we believe. In the crucifixion. How many believe that he's conquered death this morning? Amen. Oh, we believe. In the resurrection. And he's coming back again. We believe. 
I need somebody to shout in this room this morning. Come on, how many believe it? Yeah. Let our faith be more than anthem. Yeah. Greater than the songs we sing. Oh, in our weakness and temptations. Church, I don't know about you, but I believe. Oh, I believe, yeah, we believe in God the Father, we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe in the Lord, and He's given us in life, oh yes, we believe in the crucifixion, we believe that He you love when grandma starts singing <laughs> and she was singing this praise the Lord praise the Lord let the earth hear his voice 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father. Through Jesus, his son. Lord, and I give you the glory. Great things my God has done. Sing it again. Come on. But praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus, God's Son, and give Him the glory. Great things He has done. Come on, just somebody worship and praise Him right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Father, we pray right now that we open our ears to hear, open our minds to understand. But more importantly, God, as always, may we open our hearts to receive your word. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Turn to one next to you and say, it's great to be in the house of God this morning. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. Key words to that video for me are simply this, together as one. Everybody say that with me, together as one. Say it again, together as one. There isn't anything the devil hates as much as the church of Jesus Christ together in unity. And that doesn't mean we all have to be the same. Aren't you glad for that? We don't all have to be the same. I thought as Pastor Nathan was sharing about um, Sharon singing this morning, I bet she didn't sing it like that. <laughs> 
I'm trying to picture her going, praise the Lord, you know. And, um, we all have different gifts and different abilities and different styles, but we can be together as one. Yes. Hello? Amen. Together as one. Yes. We're in Nehemiah chapter 5, and the title of the message is simply, I was very angry. How many are glad you came today? How many of you have ever been very angry? Point at your neighbor. <laughs> ben, no, don't poke. I said point. <laughs> I was very angry. Revival, as we've been talking about, must move from the temple to the city walls. What God wants to do in a city isn't done or in a church isn't done until it moves from the church to the community and impacts those that are around us. And I've got to remind you that if external tax attacks don't work, as we've already seen in Nehemiah, if external attacks don't work, the devil will resort to internal attacks. Come on, help me this morning. He'll resort to internal attacks. If he can divide us, he can defeat us. It's not the attack from the outside that I worry about. It's the collapse from the inside that concerns me. We talked about Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5 and the judgment of God falling down on them. Why? Because that was an internal attack to gain credibility in the body through deceit. And that would have jeopardized, in fact, that would have destroyed the early church. In Acts chapter 16, there's a demon-possessed girl who comes up to Paul as he's preaching and begins to shout out, these men are servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And Paul cast the devil out of her. Why did he respond in that way? Because you can't mix together the testimony of the devil with the testimony of Jesus. And that would have created syncretism, a strange admixture of the church, and that couldn't be tolerated because it would have caused an internal collapse. I read in the book of Galatians that when Peter refused to, to fellowship with the Gentiles when the Jews from Jerusalem came, Paul withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed and said, if you're going to act like this, if you're going to act like a Gentile around the Gentiles, don't pretend that you're a Jew around the Jews. You've got to be the same person in both contexts. And that hypocrisy couldn't be allowed to exist in the early church. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that God himself guards over the unity of his body. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren and sistren to dwell together in unity. In chapter 5, the work of God is challenged by internal dissension. It's similar to the dissension that we would see in Acts chapter 6. There was an outcry in Acts chapter 6 because the widows weren't being treated the same. The Grecian widows were not being treated as well as the Hebrew widows. And they brought that to the apostles who then launched, I don't believe that they launched deacon ministry. I believe they launched lay ministry and raised up men who would serve that need and minister to that problem so that the church could continue to walk on. Again, it was dissension within the body. Ministry, though, now listen, ministry can be enhanced by division Amen. if division is handled right. I was, um, will never forget, I didn't see this, I wish I had. I loved pastoring in uh, I, the university community for the years that God put us there. Um, not as much as I love pastoring here, but I did enjoy being there. And the international students, you know what is incredible is when someone that comes from 
a warm climate or a hot climate comes to central Iowa in December. That is hysterical. We had a young man who had come from Egypt and had never seen snow. And he's driving a car in the middle of a snowstorm. There's a main intersection in Ames at um, University and what is now uh, El was Elwood Drive, right there at, at Lincoln Way and Elwood Drive, which is now University, main intersection there. And when he was telling me the story, when the police saw him, he has his head hanging out the window and he's spinning in a circle, he can't go straight. He's going so slow spinning in the circle that they walk up to his spinning car and knock on the glass. <laughs> and he stops. And they began to explain to him how to drive on, what was his problem? His problem was there was no friction. When there's no friction, you can't make progress. He said to the police officers, what is all this white stuff on the inside of my windshield? They said it's called frost. <laughs> this little device they pulled out of their car is called an ice scraper. Here's how it works. And see this button here? Slide that over to warm and push defrost. He was getting some instruction in how to drive. If there is absolutely no friction, there can't ever be any progress. So what I want you to understand is as we move forward, there will be friction. The goal isn't to never have friction. The goal is to handle it in a right way that moves us forward. When there's friction in a marriage, in a relationship, in the, in the home, in the church, on a team, it's an opportunity for progress to be made if handled in a right fashion. And Nehemiah is going to show us how what the devil meant for evil, God will turn about for good and take what could have set them on a wrong path back on a right path. So I want to encourage you next time that you hit some friction, don't panic. View it as an opportunity to make progress. Not an opportunity to get your way, but an opportunity to make progress. How do we deal with internal dissension? Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. So that is the goal, that we will live peaceably. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? The sons of God. But if you have a peacemaker, that means there is a need for someone to make peace and if there's a need for someone to make peace, it must mean there are times that there will not be peace and a peacemaker will be needed to make peace who will be called the son of God. So it's not wrong to be very angry. What's wrong is how we handle it and how we move forward. The path to peace may be a difficult one, but it's going to require two things. And I'm going to do a little bit of teaching right here. In addition to what I'll, um, what I'll say later, hopefully there'll be some teaching in there too. But there's a misunderstanding when it comes to conflict management that we have one of two mindsets. One is, we will all be happy if I get my way. How many have met people like that? 
If I get my way, we'll all be happy. Then there's the other side that says, whatever you want, I'll give in order to make you happy. One is extremely assertive, and the other is extremely submissive, and neither of those are healthy. For conflict to be handled in a healthy way, there are two principles that have to be in play. And one is healthy assertiveness and healthy submission at the same time. You can say to someone, here are what my needs are. Now, how can we meet your needs and make this a win-win? Healthy conflict management does not mean that you become a doormat, nor does it mean you become a bully. It means that you're fully assertive about what you need in your life and fully submissive to what someone else needs in theirs, and you try to bring reconciliation to that so that both can move forward in a positive way. Now, there are times when that may not be the case. For instance, if you are a pizza delivery guy and you pull up to a house and someone pulls out a gun to rob you, that is not the time to be fully assertive. We call that a funeral. But in interpersonal relationships in the church, we should look to be fully assertive and fully submissive to one another in love. How does that work out in Nehemiah chapter 5? Well, in Nehemiah chapter 5, we see one model of that. There isn't a single way to resolve conflict. There's not a single model that always works, but there are principles that always work. And so I'm just, let me just, can I just stop here and talk just why this matters? Because I'm sick and tired. Are you ready? I'm sick and tired of watching Christians fight over masks. I'm sick and tired of it. If you want to wear a mask, wear one and I'll affirm you. But get off my back if I don't. And I will affirm you for wearing one. And if I'm making you uncomfortable, I will be submissive to you and make you comfortable. When I go into a store and they say put on a mask, I don't stop my constitutional rights. I put on a mask because there's something bigger at stake, and that's the communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is anybody hearing me? I'm so sick of seeing the church divided over COVID when this could be our greatest hour. Come on, hear me this morning. That's why this matters. If we would stop fighting each other and start fighting the devil and start proclaiming what we believe, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in divine healing. I believe in the authority of the word of God. Let's stand that ground and quit fighting over cultural issues that keep us from fulfilling his calling on our lives. That's what this message is about. How do we navigate that? I feel better. I've been wanting to get that off my chest for a while. That's called fully assertive. Number one, you need to understand the power of personal protest. The power of personal protest. There's a great cry that goes out in Nehemiah chapter 5 because there is a great wrong being done. And if you're going to launch a personal protest, it needs to be over a great, uh, a, a great offense, not over a personal preference. When something is really wrong, sinful, being done wrong, you need to speak to that 
other things, you need to just swallow it. Here are families that need to eat, and they're saying we've mortgaged everything. And I'm going to pause here because I just sent some tension in the room. If I offended you a little bit ago, my method wasn't intended to offend. It was to call us to a higher calling. So please hear me, and don't send me emails this week. When there is an offense, a sin, that needs to be addressed. That needs to be talked about. We have families that need to eat. We've mortgaged everything we own. They're saying in order to eat, we can't get food. We've spent it all. We're indebted up to our eyeballs. In fact, in order to pay the king's tax and buy something to eat, we've had to sell our children into slavery. To who? Not to Babylon, not to the Persians. We've had to sell our children into indentured servitude to our own people. Something's not right here. While we're building the wall trying to save the city, we're dying inside the city. Something's wrong here. You don't solve problems by ignoring them. I said you don't solve problems by ignoring them. Some things aren't problems to be solved, and that's what you have to learn the difference. Some things aren't problems to be solved. Just because you don't like it a certain way doesn't mean you need to get your way. But there are some problems that have to be dealt with in a, in a way that will rectify them. While some things are simply yours to deal with. How many are understanding what I'm saying right now? Some things are simply yours to deal with. Get over it. Other things need to be addressed. For instance, I hate it when people slurp their coffee. I need to get over it. Somebody say amen. But if you're shooting up drugs, I need to confront it. Some things I need to get over, some things I need to confront, and we need to be able to know the difference. It's called maturity. It's called spiritual growth and development. So it isn't wrong to speak up when you are the victim of an injustice. There are times that you need to do that, and they report it to Nehemiah. And it matters who you tell. It matters who you talk to. It matters where you take your problems. And please, again, listen. Social media won't fix your issues. (laughs) I talked to a guy the other day, and he said, without Facebook, I wouldn't know what to do. I'm so glad it keeps me on the straight and narrow. That is entirely made up. I've never heard such a claim. Because we vent, we spew, we put our garbage all over the place, and you need to take it where it matters. Take it where something can be done. Authorities exist for a reason, and they go to the person in authority. I'm going to talk about my grandson, Jotham, here just for a minute, because he is two years old, too, and he understands that better than some adults. This is what I've noticed. He, he can't tell what's going on. But when we have a family gathering and uh, you have different sets of children and adults in the house, if one of the children is doing something they shouldn't be doing, do you know what he does? He goes and gets a responsible adult. I mean, their adult. So something was going on in our basement and it must have involved one of the worst children I'm not sure which one, and Jotham knew there needed to be intervention. 
So he walked upstairs to Crystal and Justin and looked at them and reached for them to come. And Crystal put out her hand and he went, uh uh. And he pointed at Justin, you need to come. Do you know what he understands in that simple child mind? If you're going to fix a problem, you need to take the problem to somebody that can fix it. Hello? Are you hearing me now? Not just broadcast it, not throw a fit about it. Go get the responsible adult. And that's what they did. They took it to where it could be addressed in a healthy way. That's what leadership is for. That's what police departments are supposed to be for. That's what government is supposed to be about. That's what church leadership is supposed to be about. However, when you take it to leadership, you use your right now to own it. You have to submit to the one you take it to. They take it to Nehemiah. We've got to have something happen here. Now, I'm not going to preach this entire piece this morning, but Matthew chapter 18 is totally misunderstood by most Christians. And Matthew chapter 18, I have a list of verses that I think should go on the witness protection program. And you should have to go to a class and pass a test before you ever get to quote it. And Matthew 18 is one of those that needs to go on the witness protection program because most Christians use it wrong. What is Matthew 18? Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his sin between him and you alone. And if he doesn't respond, take two or three. And then if they don't respond, then tell it to the church. Let me tell you what it means when you tell it to the church. It doesn't mean you tell the church what to do. You say, I've tried to resolve this in a private fashion. It isn't working and I need your help and now you own it and I'll submit to whatever you decide. In fact, in one place when the church was suing each other, Paul said, you can't do that. In fact, if you can't figure it out, get the least esteemed. In other words, get the person who is the least educated, the person who is not as smart as everybody else, the simplest person you can find and let them decide it. That'd be better than taking it to the court system with children of God. It's getting it resolved taking it to the church and letting the church handle it and being willing to submit to it. They tell it to Nehemiah. They go to the person in authority and they know what Nehemiah will do. He has a reputation already as a man of action. He will do something about it. I read an article yesterday from Christianity Today that was titled, What Are Police For? And as I read the Christian responses, I was shocked that we don't understand what police are for. Let me tell you what they're for. Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 13 makes it very, very clear that police exist for two reasons, to punish evil and reward good. And again, Christians, can I ask you to do something? Before you take a stance on social injustice, Please know what you're talking about and have done the research and not simply respond to the rhetoric of who got to you last. We're damaging ourselves today in a time when we ought to be the first place people go. Yes, injustice needs to be confronted, but it needs to be confronted in a way that will be healthy and there has to be respect among the people of God for those in authority. The institutions need to exist. Well, should have shouted more during worship because this is going to be a tough sled. In the article, a black man tells about 
responding to authority. He was pulled over and wasn't doing anything wrong, he thought. And his friend was driving the car. Now, I don't know. He doesn't tell why they were pulled over. But when they were pulled over, the police officer said, put your hands where I can see them. And he hollered out the window, I'm not putting my hands anywhere. That same mindset, while we point at that and say how unhealthy that is, I hope you can see how unhealthy that is. But it affects us as well. Nobody's telling me what to do. There's an undercurrent of lawlessness that is finding fruition in the body of Christ today that needs to be rooted out. And a respect for authority needs to be put back in its place. Police exist to punish and to reward. If they do that wrong, then we need to hold them accountable. But authorities cannot simply be neutral. Action is demanded. And this may shock you, and I I, I hope not, and I hope you still love me when this is over uh, and, and we're still okay. Um, But it isn't my job as pastor of this church to be everybody's friend any more than it's my job to be my children's friend. Sometimes decisions have to be made for the health of the body, and the board has to make decisions for the health of the body. And what needs to happen in the body is a respect for the decision-making process that goes into getting to where we end up There needs to be respect for that. And there is here. I'm not feeling any disrespect. I'm just saying that as as we approach the days that are ahead of us, that undercurrent of lawlessness is raising up, not just out in the world system that says to a police officer, don't tell me what to do. It's finding its way into the church saying, don't tell me what to do. And it's creating dissension and discord. I talked to a pastor two weeks ago who said, I've never in my life seen the ugliness of Christians like I've seen in the last month. Turning on the church, turning on leadership, turning on all authority structures. Can you see that the spirit of Antichrist is deceiving us and moving us into an unhealthy place to live? Now, I knew you wouldn't shout this morning. In fact, I wanted to take this week off. But I really feel like we have to understand If we're going to survive the external attack, it'll only be because we're strong enough to handle the internal attacks. You've got to, it's not wrong. It is not wrong to say, I am being unjustly treated. But then you've got to be willing to take it to authority and submit to that. Second, there's the power of public pressure. Private negotiations in... I didn't realize how hard this would be. (laughs) Private negotiations failed in Nehemiah chapter 5. It is clear, clearly inferred that Nehemiah talked to the nobles about what they were doing that was wrong and they refused to do anything about it. When private confrontation doesn't work, it is our responsibility and leadership to bring public pressure. It is appropriate. Pastor, you can't. You can't call people out publicly. 
Oh, yes, I can. And I, I, I want to be careful here. I don't know anything about the new justice for the Supreme Court that's been nominated. I've not done research. But when a talk show host calls her a blankety-blank fool because she speaks in tongues, we should be outraged. And it is appropriate for the church to bring public pressure on attacks against the body of Christ. It's appropriate. Nehemiah says, wouldn't listen to me privately, wouldn't listen to me um, when I tried to talk with them. They don't respond to private confrontation. So what does he do? He calls a large public gathering. Private interaction is preferable, should be first, and hopefully would resolve it. But if there is no response, then public pressure becomes the next step for leadership to take. Nehemiah is moved by anger. He's moved by, he's not moved by compassion here. He's very angry. He's ticked off over what the people of God are doing. And God sometimes moves through our anger. Sometimes it is motivated by him because they're doing the wrong things. When we treat one another wrongly, God gets angry. And what had happened, think about this. Think about the whole context. The rebuilding of the walls is going to have to stop if people can't eat. They can't pay their bills. They can't keep giving time to do the work. And why can't they pay their bills? Now watch this. Look how dysfunctional this became. Nehemiah says, we worked hard to buy back and bring back our brothers and sisters from captivity. For what purpose? So that you could sell them into slavery to yourselves. We're treating them worse in our house than they were being treated outside our house. Does that make sense to you? It happens when we take advantage of one another. Do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You have a responsibility to treat everyone ethically, but especially treating other believers ethically. And those that are oppressed and abused outside the wall should be brought inside the house of God so that they can be affirmed and encouraged and strengthened, not treated poorly, sometimes more poorly than they were treated on the outside. They need to be loved and cared for. We should be first in line to embrace. It's unhealthy what's happening here. He says to them publicly, what you're doing is not right. You're engaging in the same practices that were used against Israel by their captors and their oppressors. And it tells us in this section that um, when I heard their outcry and their charges, I was angry. I pondered in my mind, accused the nobles. I told them you're doing wrong. Nothing happened. So I called a meeting and it says in verse 8, they kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So when he shut them up from their defenses, he continued to pour fire on the, the judgment and says to them, shouldn't you walk in the fear of God to avoid the reproach of the Gentiles? And when he's done with this, I mean, 1% of the money, grain and new wine, you're charging usury, you're charging them a 12% interest rate. And in that context, that was 
usury. You don't do that to other believers. You don't take advantage of them. You should affirm them and strengthen them and help them. And they said, we will give it back. But do you notice? They wouldn't say, we'll give it back until public pressure broke them. I just need you to understand that sometimes the church has to say the way certain people are behaving is wrong and that means calling out some people if it needs to be called out. Some years ago, there was a young man in our church that ended up in jail for robbery, broke into a house, stole some wine coolers and other things happened. And he claims that he started drinking when one of the men in our church bought alcohol for him when he was underage. Now, if I could have proven that, I'd have called him out publicly because the Bible says, mark them that cause division among you. And, and I just want you to know, I don't know what the days are ahead, but to understand that the church is real, it's authentic, it's raw, it's, it's relational, but it's not pacifist, it's not sissified. It's not let's all smile and pretend to make good. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? Sometimes it requires some hard action and calling people out. Sometimes that's what is necessary. And I hope that never has to happen. I've had two occasions when I have publicly um, remove someone from the church and let the church know those people weren't welcome here. And today, if you do that, you know what will happen? Regardless of the egregious nature of the sin, the body will turn on leadership. And what you see here, Nehemiah is saying, if we're going to rebuild the walls of the city, we've got to deal with what's going on inside the walls. And sometimes that takes some tough decisions. I don't have a list. I'm not after anyone. I don't have a plan. I'm simply saying we have to understand the tools that is sometime required so that we have unity to be able to move forward and keep everyone safe. Hello? If you are a Christian and an unscrupulous business person, I will identify you from the pulpit if you're in our body and you won't change your ways. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's what Nehemiah just did. Now, I've been here 10 years. How many times have I done that? Never. And I don't ever plan to. I'd rather deal with it in my office privately. But I have to let you know, in the culture we're living, I feel the tension rising. And Nehemiah says, when private, please don't work. Public pressure is what's required. Is that making sense to anybody? Again, I'm so glad to preach this when there's no burning issue that I need to have to address. There's nothing that I need to call your attention to. And I really didn't want to preach this this morning. And I thought, Nathan, I, Pastor Nathan, I hope worship goes really well because I know where this sermon's going. <laughs> it's to establish some parameters that I hope we never have to use. But to know that they're biblical. The power of public pressure. We will do as you say. We will do what you say. 
Now, the church would normally say then, Nehemiah, back off, okay? Back off, Nehemiah. They said they'd do it. What is your problem? Back off. Nehemiah doesn't back off. He summons the priests and the nobles and the officials, made them take an oath to do what they promised. And then verse 13, I shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. In other words, I am pronouncing judgment that if you don't fix this, that God will bankrupt you. That's how he prayed. <laughs> oh, I feel like I needed to bring my waiters this morning. And at this, the whole assembly said, amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did what they had promised. Sometimes public pressure is needed. I'll, um, I'll never forget this. Was, as a youth pastor, this is in a, in a less... Um, uh, a, a less serious kind of era, area. But we, for a while, uh, the first church I was a youth pastor in, we couldn't make our missions budget and missions money was dropping. And I know the Bible says to not let your right hand know what your left hand does. I get all that. And you can debate with me however you want. But it was a lesson that really startled me. The pastor took a piece of poster board and on that was going to put everyone's missions pledge for the coming year, your name and the amount giving. Pastor Tim, that was the first year that we raised our missions giving. I was embarrassed by what we were giving. And so our name went up. We made an amount that stretched us. And you know that one piece of poster board caused missions to go up significantly, and we never again struggled with paying for our missions pledges and taking care of our missionaries because public pressure did what private appeal couldn't do. That's sad. But we moved forward in missions and never looked back. Sometimes as a disciplinary act, things have to be done that are <laughs> difficult. The power of public pressure they capitulated to public pressure and confrontation. They were willing to submit. Now, why they made those choices, we don't have the details other than what matters is that a change was made in response and it was sealed with a challenge of judgment. So we see here the power of private appeal. What I, what I want you to see is if you're a victim of injustice, it's not wrong. You're not expected in the body of Christ to simply endure that. You have the right to bring that to leadership. And when private interaction doesn't work, the Bible in both Matthew and Nehemiah and Galatians and other places demonstrates that there is power in public pressure that may need to come into play. Wouldn't it be better to deal with it privately? How many say I'd rather deal with it privately? I would rather it be dealt with privately and we get it taken care of. Because third, then the reason this works, and uh, third, the reason this works is because there's power in personal practice. There's power in personal practice. In verse 14, Nehemiah says, 
from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be the governor of the land of Judah, until the 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. So what they're saying is the previous governors overtaxed them. Nehemiah isn't saying that every governor should not take pay, not saying that at all, because it likely was still on the king's payroll and didn't need to take money from them and didn't take advantage of them. And the reason he's saying this is because people do what people do. I don't trust you because of the person who was before you. Some of you will never trust a board member because of a bad one. Some of you will never trust a pastor because of a bad one. And there comes a point where you have to say, yesterday was yesterday. Your perception, I'm sorry, your experience in the past has the ability of coloring your perception of the present. And you will not allow people to be a blessing to you because of what other people have done. There comes a point where, where you have to say, today is not yesterday. This person's not that person. You've got to be willing to move on into new opportunities and new relationships and say just because the church failed yesterday doesn't mean that it has to fail today. Some of you are carrying grudges that won't let you move on in God because of what happened yesterday. Today is a new day, church. Today's a new day. Today's a new day. The old days, they used to laugh that board members would say, God will keep the pastor poor and you keep him humble. And the thrust was worried that some pastor might get too much authority and lead too much. And there were some that have done that and abused that in times gone by. But Nehemiah is saying, will you knock it off? I'm not them. I've been here long enough that you know I'm not them. And the best way for you to make an impact on people around you is to demonstrate you're not yesterday. You're not who they were. There's power in personal practice, in you living out your faith, living out your life. Well, I know Christians and they're all phony. Well, I'm going to tell you about this Christian right now. I've been phony in the past too. There are times where I've made mistakes. I haven't always measured up to everything, but I've tried to be authentic and move forward and be accountable. And sometimes I'll say something, you'll say something, we'll all do something that needs to be rectified. And you need to let it be a new day. Yes, amen. You need to let it be a new day. Somebody here, and I'm really feel needs to let go of something that happened to you in a church in the past, and it's keeping you from really engaging today because you're coloring today by yesterday's pain. And you have to stop that. You have to stop that. We've probably all had leaders who have hurt us taken advantage of us, overcharged us, treated us badly. (laughs) I still want to use an illustration. I'll just do it. I'll be careful. This is for me. I can't, yeah, I can't let, let me say it this way. I can't let last year's district council color me coming into this year's district council because it's a new day 
Last year's district council was the most personally painful experience I've ever had in church leadership. But I can't let that color me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Today is a new day. I have to look at myself in the mirror every now and then and say, get over it. Because yesterday's not today. Hello? So when I get asked, Pastor Tim, you'll understand this, asked to volunteer or help in an area, it's like, yeah, I don't think so. Last time I did that, I got burned. That was last time. This is this time. I'm not suggesting you let the same people take advantage of you. I'm saying you can't let the past pain of your experience shape your present perceptions. He's saying it's a new day. I am not them. I didn't do what they did, and I've demonstrated to you, not only have I not taken money, instead, I devoted myself to work on the wall. You've seen me out there. You've seen me working on the wall. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations, and then tells how much I've been feeding, I've been giving, I've been sowing, and he's saying, don't you think it's about time you give me credibility? is what Nehemiah says. Now, I'm not saying that for me. I don't feel that, but I do know there's some people in my life right now that I need to say to them, I need to give you credibility. Hello? There comes a point to say, there's power in your lifestyle, and I'm going to respect that. This is going to be really, really important when we get to the next chapter. And then, I love this, the present is on display. Nehemiah points out how he's living differently. And then, I I don't know if you understand this, but this is so authentic, it's so real, it's so raw. Um, Nehemiah, after he's done with all the people, and he's had to tell them what he's done, and he's tried to call them out of the friction they're in, they've got to correct that. And he says, remember me with favor, God, for all I've done for these people. Now, you might think that's selfish, but I'm telling you what, there have been times, God, (laughs) this better matter. This better count for something. These scars that I bear, the scars that you bear, the price that you paid, the battles you fought, God, this, this better count for something. Now, I don't think that's wrong to pray. It does. He keeps good books, and you've got to trust him. But basically what he's saying is, remember me. All I want, God, all I want isn't the favor of the people. I don't want accolades. I don't want their gifts and flowers. I just want to know, God, that I am living in a way that has your favor. That's what I need to have in my life is the favor of God. And if you will wade into, listen, if you will wade into the battlefield of resolving interpersonal conflict in a, in a larger context, there's a blessing of God on those who bring peace because they will be called what? The sons of God. How far was Jesus willing to go to bring peace? He stretched his hands on the cross. They nailed him there, and he died to bring peace. Now, again, I don't know, I don't think this message is necessary at all for our church today. But I know there'll be a day when we will all look back and say, 
Let's reread Nehemiah chapter 5. Let's reread. So I have two things I want to do that I felt like God put on my heart. One is to establish a paradigm to say, when the church has to make decisions that you don't understand, you don't have the freedom to attack that. You do have the freedom to dialogue about it. And when you don't understand, let's have a conversation. However, on the other side, I just know people. And I know that there are people in all of our lives that we may have a hard time forgetting what they've done, but we need to forgive them. And I wanna remind you of what I believe forgiveness is. Forgiveness doesn't mean you have to like them again. Forgiveness doesn't mean you have to invite them into your home. Forgiveness doesn't mean you need to hang out together. That's all reconciliation and restoration. The parable of the, um, forgive, the, unfor, forg, the unforgiving servant clarifies what forgiveness is. It's releasing your right to claim payment on an offense. So if Barry has offended me, he's done something to me that really hurt me, that was really wrong, we don't have to be best buds. Forgiveness means you don't owe me for that. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You don't owe me. And some of you can't move forward because you're still expecting payment. I want an apology. I want someone to make it right. I want them to pay that back. And you'll never move forward because you can't forgive. There comes a place where there has to be forgiveness. When people make changes and you release that. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around, is there someone in your life right now, online, uh, in the uh, chapel here in the main auditorium, that you need to release their debt? You don't have to even feel good about it. You just need to release their debt so that you can move on. You need to forgive. Just slip your hand up. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Hands going up all around. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You see, we can either play church or we can be the church. I'm not interested in playing church. I want to be the church. And that requires authenticity and accountability. So right now, I want you to ask Jesus to help you forgive the debt they owe you. From this point on, you're not expecting any payment. You're not expecting an apology. You're not expecting anything in return. You're, you're forgiving what they owe you because they do owe you an apology. They do owe you to make it right. They do owe correcting what they've done, but you're gonna release that. Why? Because Jesus released your debt. Release that debt right now. Just release it. In your mind, mark it paid in full, paid in full. Let's stand together. Pastor Nathan is gonna lead us. Let's take just a moment to let God speak to our hearts about his life and his love.
with just one story that I'd like for you to think about. Um, and you can be seated just for a minute and then we'll, we'll dismiss. Um, the reason the Jews behaved the way they be behaved in Nehemiah chapter 5 is because they'd been shaped by the behavior of the Persians. They were shaped by that. And we're being shaped by our culture in unique ways. And when we get through this, there's gonna have to be some healing in the church as well as healing in the community. And I wanna be in a place where I can minister that. Yes. Yesterday, I met with a couple of missionaries from Kenya. They're back in the United States. We met over at Caribou for coffee. It's the first time I've been in Caribou. And they have chairs piled on chairs where you can't sit and a few tables out. and. And, um, and again, I understand, you need to listen to me very carefully here. You're gonna misunderstand the point. They came walking in the door, walked up to me, shook my hand and hugged me. And I thought, what is wrong with you people? I've never thought that before in my life. Now, do I think they should have done that? No, I don't think they should have done that. I think you have to be careful and be sensitive to the community around. But what surprised me was my emotional feel. We're being shaped by the culture. That doesn't mean in that area we should change, 
But I'm telling you, we're being shaped in other ways. We're letting hatred and vitriol and anger begin to shape us. And there's no place in the house of God for that shaping. Hello? So let's make sure we don't do that. And let's hold one another accountable. Because when this ends, and it will in some fashion, our children are going to have to relearn. And I understand the time that we're in. I'm not advocating you being, being silly now. I'm just saying there's going to be another day. Let's not damage ourselves to such an extent that we can't minister tomorrow. Hello? Be sensitive to him today so that you have a voice tomorrow. Jesus, let our faith be more than anthems. Let it drive every part of our life. Let us walk healthy before you in Jesus' name. And everyone that loves him said...